Greg, great to have you on the show. Hope you're doing well. God, I'm your first guest. Wow, I'm just uh, honored, Jonathan. <laughs> you guys have a nice little cozy spot there, looking nice. It, it's not bad. Greg's a big fan of Nashville, a uh, big fan of country music as we broadcast live from Blackbird Studios uh, here at the Blackbird Academy. Greg, let's jump right into it and let's get into some free agency news and notes. And the the splash, the headline, everyone's talking about the New England Patriots and <laughs> what they've done. We know Jonu Smith well. You know him well from yeah. breaking down the film over the years of the former Titans draft pick. What type of tight end are they getting in Jonu Smith? And what does it signal to you that they've also signed Hunter Henry? Well, I don't think you probably need me to say that they're likely to play a lot of snaps with 12 personnel with two tight ends. But that was obviously an organizational and a coaching decision by Bill Belichick because the assumption was when you sign Jonu Smith, who's a very multidimensional tight end, you can line him up in line on the line of scrimmage. You can flex him. He can split outside the numbers. He lined up in the backfield at times with the Titans. The assumption was when you signed Jonu Smith, you had your multidimensional tight end, and people said Henry's no longer an option for New England. Well, then they signed Henry a little while later. So they're going to go back, theoretically, to what they did. I believe it was 2012, and I believe they led the NFL in offense that year when they had Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez, and they played a lot of snaps of 12 personnel with two tight ends that could line up all over the formation. And that is really critical. And that does a lot of things for you offensively because it what, of what it forces the defense to do. And that's the whole point of this, is now you put the defense in a situation where they have to decide, first and foremost, how they want to play with personnel. Do they stay with base personnel? Or do they line up and play nickel? Because they're more concerned about the explosiveness in the pass game than they are in the run game because the reality is percentage-wise more explosive plays come out of the pass game so right off the bat you're starting by putting the defense in a situation where they have to make a decision as to how they want to play the position group that was gobbled up quickly in the early negotiating period was pass rush as expected and, and many of these guys we can always point to their supporting cast not their fault they're on a very good defense and We'll certainly get to Bud Dupree in a moment here in Nashville. But Matt Judon from Baltimore, is he elite? Did you put him in that elite category as you evaluate him week in and week out within that Baltimore defense? And what will he bring to New England? I would not say he's an elite edge pass rusher. I would say that he's a multiple front player, and that's what Bill Belichick likes. Bill Belichick lines up in multiple defensive fronts. That's what he's been for a number of years now. And Matt Judon is, in a sense, a perfect fit because he can line up outside. You can move him inside. There's multiple positions he can play, both on the ball and off the ball in a stacked position. So someone like Matt Judon absolutely fits what Bill Belichick wants to do and in many ways is the perfect signing uh, for the kinds of things that he ideally likes to get done. Is he at all like Adelius Thomas um, coming from a, a, a similar scheme mm. who wound up being a little bit, a, a lot of bit of a, of a bust up there? No, I don't think so. I think he's a different player, PK. I think he's uh, a better player, quite honestly. I think he is a better pass rusher. 
Um, I think you can do more with him along your front. Um, Thomas it was very athletic, and people started to think he could play all over, meaning on the back end. And, you know, that's one of the things we get caught up in as well with the draft. We got caught up in that with Isaiah Simmons coming out of Clemson last year in this belief that these players can play five or six different positions. That's a little extreme. A guy can play a number of spots along your defensive front, but he can't play five or six different positions along your entire defense. So Matt Judon fits that role where, and the thing is, is he's used to doing this. So it's not as if he's starting from scratch in learning how to play what Bill Belichick will want him to do. Greg Cosell, NFL Films is our guest. Greg, Clearly, uh, we talk about elite. Elite financially now is Trent Williams with the 49ers <laughs> with $138 yeah. million. But what is it about his game that makes him elite as an offensive tackle? Well, apparently they signed Alex Mack, too. So you know where Kyle Shanahan's head is as far as getting back to being able to run the football. I mean, Trent Williams just has pretty much everything you'd want in, in a left tackle position. He's a very good pass protector. Uh, he's a very good run blocker. I mean, there were games this year uh, early on in the season in particular where he was dominant with s- specific reps and snaps. Um, so you know, th- the thing is, when, when you have the tackle position, what you'd ideally like to be able to do with your two tackles in this league is to be able not to have to help them. Because what that does for your offense is it increases your options. Because you would love to be able to get all five eligible receivers out on every snap. Now, you can't do that if you feel uncomfortable with your tackles in pass protection, particularly when you get into situations in longer yardage, second and long, third and long, where the drop by the quarterback may have to be a little deeper, and therefore you have to protect your quarterback on the edge. So now you feel very comfortable with the fact that, hey, we can get our all five eligible receivers out. We don't need to worry about keeping George Kittle into pass protect or a chip, which then limits his route concepts. So, Because the pass game on both sides of the ball, guys, it's about numbers. The offense wants to get all five eligible out, and the defense wants to be able to rush the quarterback with four so that they can have seven in coverage. But if the defense can't rush with four, then they have to add a rusher because the idea – is to be able to speed up the quarterback. But if you add a rusher, you go from seven in coverage to six in coverage, and then the options for your coverage concepts decrease. Let's stay out west with the Raiders in Vegas, who they add a rusher with Yannick Ngakwe. He has at least eight sacks in each of his last or first five seasons in the league. I think he's on his fourth NFL team now in the last two years. At least it feels like that. Reunited, though, with Gus Bradley. And he'll play that weak side end position for the Raiders. Does that factor into how you evaluate what he's going to do defensively there? Or would is he the type of player, Greg, that's going to be that type of player in any defense? He's that type of player in any defense. He's basically a 4-3 defensive end, open side edge rusher. And that player is always at a premium in the NFL and has tremendous value. And what it also tells me, um, now again, Here's what you have to think as, as I'm thinking through this. I'm curious as to how they see him in their base defense because Gus Bradley is there. He's a 4-3 coach. Now, they also have Max Crosby. They also have Cleveland Farrell. So do they see Ngakwe as a linebacker in their base defense? 
because if, if not, if he's a defensive end, maybe they see Cleveland Farrell moving inside full time as a defensive tackle because that's what he did last year when they went to their sub fronts is he moved inside and they had Arden Key and Max Crosby as their edge rushers. So I'm wondering how they see this. They obviously signed him for a reason. You know, nobody signed somebody on a whim. So the question becomes, do they see him as a strong side linebacker in their base defense, which is not a position he's played. He's essentially been an on-the-ball player. Now, your strong side linebacker can be on the ball. Essentially, it gives you a five-man front. But to me, that's the question. We don't know the answer to that. It's not as if they made a public announcement about what he is. We know he's a really good open side edge pass rusher. So we've talked about Judon and we've talked about Ngakwe. So this leads me back to Baltimore. They're, they've re-signed uh, Bowser, Bowser, McPhee, yep. Derek Wolf. Um, but how immensely different is Baltimore now with what they tried to do up front, the Ravens. They usually draft guys who fit this system very well, but those seem like two big minuses in losing Judon and Ngakwe. What do you expect from what they have left? Well, my sense is, PK, that they see Bowser in some ways as their replacement for Judon. Bowser came out of the University of Houston a highly athletic, highly explosive, sudden athlete who needed to learn how to play in the league. He came out in 2017. And the fact that they re-signed him, and I don't follow the numbers, but it was obviously, what, a three- or four-year deal? So I think they view him now as ready to take that mantle because this kid is an explosive athlete. And I remember watching him coming out of Houston and thinking, down the road, he has really good pass rush traits that need to be developed. And they probably feel, not probably because they let you Don Walk and just re-sign Bowser, I'm sure they feel he now fits that role of, of a movement player who can line up in multiple positions, which, by the way, he did a year ago. He'll probably now get more snaps. So I think they see Bowser as that guy. So, Greg, we love getting into process questions with Greg Cosell and your process of watching film and what you're looking for with individual players. And one that we keep hearing is about Bud Dupree. And you watch him yep. and you see a guy and the, the thought is, oh, well, he's helped out by his supporting cast because he's got great players around <laughs> him. When you're watching a player on film, does that pop to you at times where you say, boy, this he was really assisted on this play by this player, or is that not something you notice with guys that often when studying individual players? Chad, I don't know how much that really means when you're studying an individual player because you're studying their traits, attributes, and characteristics. So if I'm watching a player, uh, let's, you know, and obviously I'm in the college mode right now. I'm, I'm, by the time I'm done, I'll probably have 200 plus uh, college prospects in the 2021 draft done in detail. You know, if you're watching a pass rusher, you know, I'm looking at how can he win on the edge? It doesn't matter who's on the other side. Can he win one-on-one? Now, are there times guys get double teamed and in an ideal world, you'd love to have other players to mitigate against double teams? Of course, but there are going to be one-on-ones just like corners. Corners have to play man coverage at some point. If a corner can't play man coverage, it's going to be tough to play in the NFL. So I remember Dupree when he came out of the university of Kentucky and they did not use him exclusively as a pass rusher. He was a tremendous athlete at over 265 pounds and they used him in many different ways. 
he he became more of a pass rusher with the Steelers because they were three four base, and then he became the edge rusher when they went to their sub. And he has improved dramatically over the last number of years as a pure edge pass rusher. A lot though with T.J. Watt on the other side. Well, again, T.J. Watt's a great pass rusher as well. So, but at the end of the day, Dupree still has to win in his pass rush. You know, it's not as if they're not blocking him, you know, just because TJ Watts on the other side, of course they're blocking him. So can he rush the quarterback? Can he win one-on-one? And then the other factor is schemes, stunts, games. How do you help your pass rushers? Because you know that when you have quality pass rushers, and by the way, to talk about the Titans now, which is a you know beautiful segue here, when they're in their sub front, I think it's going to be really interesting because what they're going to have is Landry and Dupree on the outside. They're going to have Simmons and um, and Danico Autry, who's a very good player, by the way. That was a really good signing, in my view. Um, I'm very familiar with Danico Autry. That's going to be their front. You're going to have Simmons and Autry inside. You're going to have Dupree and Landry on the outside. You're going to have Evans as kind of the wild card because he can rush the quarterback as well. So, Again, none of us can sit here now in the middle of March and say, okay, they're going to be a great pass rush team. But what we do know is they couldn't rush the quarterback a year ago. You like that group. Well, I do uh, like that group because Danico Autry, see, Danico Autry is another multiple front player. He was in a 4-3 a year ago and he played defensive end in the base and moved inside to deep tackle in the nickel for the Colts. But he also has the, the, the size and the traits to be a 3-4 DN, a 4 technique and a 5 technique, which he probably will be in this front. He'll be a, a DN along with Simmons, that 4-5 technique, and I imagine Daquan Jones will be the, the nose shade. And then you'll have Landry and Dupree uh, as the outside backers in the base 3-4. And then when they go to the sub, it's just a four-man front. And Evans will be the, the wild card. One thing we know, based on what they've done, Greg, they are more physical up front now from what uh, we've seen. Yep. Uh, more dominant in, inside on that interior next to Jeffrey Simmons by adding Autry. They have players now that can win the one-on-one matchups, as you're saying. They're not just going to get quarterback pressures, or at least they haven't in their past. They've been actually finishing plays. And I think that that was clearly, if, they, if you're just going by what they've done in free agency, they, they are adding a more physical presence to their front. Without question, because Autry is a big man and he's that guy, and we know what Simmons is. Now, is, is Janoris Jenkins, is that quote-unquote official? Both the Doy Jackson and, and, uh, and, and Malcolm Butler gone. Only guy left is Christian Fulton, and we have no idea what he is yet. Yo, know, I guess my question is: Is what what's is Janoris Jenkins? Is that official? Is he is he there? Yeah, he's expected to be a starter. Uh, my indications he are will be. Yeah, because uh, again, what they would I think ideally like to play is is a good amount of man coverage. It's hard to put a percentage on it, but I think they would like to be more of a man team than a zone team. And Christian Fulton, he was a second round pick a year ago, predominant man coverage player at LSU. That's his background. LSU gets corners, they line up and they play man. So he has a man background. Janoris Jenkins, he's a man player. He's always been an aggressive man player. Had a good year last year too, by the way. So I think in an ideal world, they would love to be able to line up on the perimeter and play man coverage. Now, the only difference there is 
I don't know what they're going to do in the slot because Des Desmond King is not a man-to-man -man defender. King also a free agent uh, along with Yeah, so he might not so. even be there, yeah. That's right, yeah. Greg Cosell with us. Uh, Greg, a player we know will not be returning is Corey Davis. He signs with the New York Jets. When you have described Corey Davis in the past to others who ask about, okay, former number five overall pick, what – what what are the Jets getting within their offense and their receiving core versus how we he was used here in Nashville? And, and what we know is he's predominantly outside, playing that Z spot, and we know that he played what 315 of his 400 snaps on the outside here in Tennessee. Is he that type of player down in and down out for the Jets offense? Well, that's what he'll be. You know, I think the Jets, <clears throat> the Jets drafted Denzel Mims in the second round a year ago, another 6'2-plus wideout, that he is ideally an X. That's what they want him to be. And then Corey Davis would be the Z, which is essentially what he's been the last couple of years. And Davis is, is good at that because then you can get him off the ball, away from the jam, and you can put him in motion. Because Corey Davis, as you guys know, is 6'3", and he's a strider. He's not loose-hipped and quick in and out of breaks, so you want him on the move. You want him running routes that require movement. How many times when he did have his big games, guys, did he catch crossers where he was on the move? That's his kind of route. You want him being able to get free access off the line of scrimmage. The Z receiver, because he's the off-the-ball receiver, gets free access off the line of scrimmage. So the Jets now, it's a good signing for them because now they have two big wideouts and they have the number two pick in the draft, which I guess it remains to be seen. I've heard from some people I trust that they will not be taking a quarterback, that they're committed to Darnold for this year. Because don't forget, their offensive coordinator now is, is uh, Matt LaFleur's brother, and he's got the San Francisco background just like Matt LaFleur does. So it's Mike LaFleur. So th their offense is going to look totally different and now they have two big wideouts. And this is an offense that really defines the reads and the throws very, very well for the quarterback. This is the time of year where we, we, we look at stats and we, we compare stats, especially sacks, with the pass rushers who have recently agreed to contracts. Carl Lawson, while we're on the Jets, has signed there. Yeah. Ten and a half sacks over the last two years in Cincinnati. How high can his ceiling be as you assess his overall body of work and what value the Jets are putting on him now within that defense? Well, they needed a pass rusher because Robert Sala is now the head coach. It'll be his defense and his predominant approach, not that he never blitzes, obviously he does, but his predominant approach is a four-man pass rush and coverage behind it, whether it's zone or, or, or man. The 49ers last year actually played a lot more what we call cover four than cover three, which had been Robert Sala's deal uh, in previous years, but he wants a four-man pass rush. And Carl Lawson, while he hasn't played a ton of snaps, every time I would watch the Bengals, and believe it or not, I ended up watching the Bengals' defense a lot more than I thought I would. Um, Carl Lawson is a very good edge pass rusher. Um, he's a little more powerful than you might think because he's not big, big, but he's very good speed to power, and he's got some bend to him. That's a really good move by the Jets. And it, and by the way, Quinn and Williams really had a good year last year. Down the stretch over the last seven, eight games, he was a very, very good player. So I'm sure they feel good about that. And, and kind of an under-the-radar signing for a one-year deal was Jared Davis, who 
came out of the University of Florida a number of years ago, and I thought he'd be a great pro. And I never rip coaches, but it never happened in Detroit. So I, I can't answer why it didn't, but he is really gifted. He's explosive. He's big. He can run. Um, I think that's a very good signing by the Jets. I think they've made some some meaningful moves here with Lawson and Davis to improve their D. And now we'll see what they do in the draft. Nobody was good in Detroit. Greg Cosell of NFL Films, our friend uh, and our first guest. We're proud to have him on Outkick 360. I'm curious about Curtis Samuel. Uh, it took a while for uh, Carolina to kind of unlock him, but he's coming off quite a year, and he seems like a, a different kind of weapon. I don't imagine he'd fit just any offense. What what does the team who signs him need to offer for him to be the right fit? Well, I think he's part of that sort of evolving NFL. And you're right, PK. Not every team will think like this, but it also plays into the draft because there are a number of receivers like this. This evolving NFL where you have a player, Tyree Kill's a very good example, uh, maybe the best example, that lines up all over. He's not just purely a wideout. He can line up in the backfield. He can you use him as your motion movement receiver. Uh, these players now have far more value than they ever did because back years ago, people would say, oh, they're too small. You know, there's no place to play them. Now, Samuel's a little bigger than a lot of these other guys. But at the end of the day, he fits that mold. You can line him up in the backfield. You can hand him the ball as an eye back. You use him as a motion guy. You can offset him in the backfield and use him as a receiver. He certainly can line up as a pure receiver, which is essentially what he is. But now he came out of Ohio State. He was a back and a receiver. And a lot of people who put him in the conventional box said, oh, he's just a slot receiver. Well, he's been more than that in the NFL. And you're right, PK. If you sign him, you have to have an understanding of how you want to use him because he can be a very valuable weapon as a as a movement a formation versatile piece. Cosell of NFL Films. You can catch him on NFL Matchup as well. I want to squeeze in one more about Kendall Lamb. Dennis Kelly, uh, to me, was a surprise cut. Hutton's got more information that we're going to talk about next hour. Uh, but what do you think about Kendall Lamb sliding in as a right tackle for the Titans? Isaiah Wilson failure is, is over here. Titans, very good yeah. offensive line last year. Obviously blocking for Derrick Henry and keeping Ryan Tannehill upright. Lamb for Kelly. What do you think? Yeah, I was a little surprised. You know, I mean, look, Kelly's not a great player, but he's been there and done well. Uh, I think the feeling probably is this. Lamb is not a really good pass protector. That's his weakness. But we know what this offense is. I Again, I guess we know what this offense is. There's a new offensive coordinator, but I doubt that they're going to stray meaningfully away from giving the ball to Derrick Henry. So I think Lamb can work if the run game is your foundation, which I think we all expect it to be. And the pass game has a lot of play action. It has a lot of boot action, which helps a tackle. Lamb is not a very good pass protector in a drop back pass game, but again, Ideally, you're not going to see a lot of straight drop back pass game unless down and distance situation demands it. But that's not going to be what this offense is about. You can follow Greg on Twitter at Greg Cosell, uh, especially uh, during the season. But right now, the NFL draft just around the corner, the draft evaluations and the prospects that Greg has already watched 
and who he, who he will go back and rewatch. Greg, how many evaluations so far to this point? I think about 150. And and as you know, Jonathan, I'm you know I'm not watching YouTube highlights. I'm you know <laughs> fortunately because I work for the NFL, I, I have the all 22. <laughs> I have the all 22. And when I watch a guy, I usually watch meaningful games. I don't you know I, I don't just pull up his let's say tackles. So I'll sit and watch you know three four games. Sometimes depending on the player or the position. I'll watch more quarterbacks. I tend to watch seven, eight full games of the top quarterbacks. Um, and this year, I probably did that with six or seven guys. And then I've even watched more quarterbacks, which is not quite as many games. So uh, I grind away. I, I, you know, it's funny. The season ends, and I think, oh, okay, the season's over. But I still find myself working seven days a week doing this. I'd like to give just a quick example. So Trevor Lawrence is going to Jacksonville. That's the expectation. Uh, you mentioned the Jets you think will stick with Darnold. So who's the quarterback that goes second overall to you? Well, that's going to be the interesting thing because if the Jets make it clear, and, and they don't have to make anything clear, but somebody's going to want Zach Wilson, I would imagine. Um, I think Lawrence is the, is the number one quarterback in this draft. I think Wilson probably is number two. Uh, someone's going to want Zach Wilson, and the Jets could be in the catbird seat because the Jets need players. Um, but – if the Jets stay at two, I think they're in a fascinating position because the player that I think would really be f interesting for them to take, given that they now have Mims, they have Corey Davis. Obviously, they'll need a back somewhere because Perrine is, is, to me, a really good number two, the Florida kid. Um, I think Kyle Pitts is, is the most fascinating player in this draft. And I think you have to forget about the T.E., for tight end that's next to his name. He is so much more than that. And the reality in this NFL, you look at the Chiefs, you could easily make the argument based on film study that Travis Kelsey is the tactical key to their offense. And I think teams have to get away from the, the old school uh, uh, anachronistic thinking that, hey, he's a tight end, you can't draft him high. But to me, Kyle Pitts is the most fascinating player in this draft. Greg, it is great to see and hear your voice, and uh, great to have you back as a part of, of the show to kick us off here as our first guest. Uh, thank you as always, and let's catch up soon. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks Greg.